Totally Football show. Today, Champions League. Man City win away, Spurs win at home. The only Wembley cursing, Dortmund, after another Wembley linesman via German side controversy. At Anfield, Korea's missile strike prompts fallout and a review of defence spending. Real Madrid get a mixed reception to their midweek Apple event, while PSG, Man City and Chelsea have statement scores, the statement being back-in-your-boxes pros. We round up all the midweek winners and losers and then get our weekend heads on for Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, Everton and more as we review, preview and leave you totally ready for your football weekend. And on today's Totally Football show, looking primed and ready, it's Michael Cox. Hello, James. You've got a lot to say for yourself today, Michael. Yeah, I was at Tottenham last night. Uh, very good game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, James Horncastle's here with us. Hello, James. As is Julien Laurent. Bonjour. We, uh, we, were, we were together over the last couple of nights looking at lots of goals going in. 54. When you talk about the midweek winners and losers, winners, clearly, the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Whether you were in the stadium, like Coxie yesterday, in front of your television, mm. in front of the goal show, I hope you would have uh, had your fix of goals for sure. Right. And Cavani, for me, being the, the pick of them all, that header, the cross from Kruzawa, Celtic Park, and that sort of diving header with the side of his head, the spin that he put in, that went into the opposite top corner, I thought was outstanding. Indeed. Adam asking, is the lobbed diving header the most satisfying yet underrated type of goal? Van Persie against Spain and now Cavani against Celtic. I mean, no offence to Van Persie against Spain. It was a great goal. It was a different header. It's a different type of diving header than the one Cavani scored. And the, the great thing about Cavani is whether you like it's a, bit, it's a bit like Marmite. A lot of people like him or, or love him, and a lot don't, a lot don't like him because he's a bit. His it's first touch is a bit. Ag- ag- yeah, it's, it's the first touch is not always great, but the easy chances often he misses, and the tough ones like that header. I mean, oh, honestly. Not not just because he's a PSG player, but mm. I don't know how many strikers, even top top strikers, would have scored that header. I, I really I really believe that, and he, and he put it in the the only place he could have put it was there. It was incredible. The goal, um, yeah, it, it was an extraordinary goal. The amount of swerve after it left his head, and it was also pretty remarkable the way that Paris Saint Germain's newly assembled front three are, are are playing. They look absolutely magnificent together. Not a view shared by the uh, the, the lone fan who ran on and tried to kick. Mbappe. Uh, Michael, the other side, I guess, of what PSG were up to, and this goes perhaps a little bit for Chelsea and one or two others as well, is the, the fact that it was such a monstrously one-sided game that you, for example, sw- switched off at half-time and went and watched something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just so one-sided, or so many of the games were so one-sided. It's just not really what I want from the Champions League. I, I want kind of tension and games between two good sides. And, and so on that first night, I switched over to Roma against Atletico for the second half, which was the only game that ended nil-nil. So mm. you could say maybe that's the wrong decision. But it was actually one of the few games where there was tension and drama. And for me, that's what football's all about. Right, that happening in Chelsea's group. Uh, meanwhile, Antonio Conte's side were enjoying a 6-0 win against Carabag at Stamford Bridge. Plenty of tension there. Man City had a, a whopping win. Remember, they couldn't win away from home last season. They did so in their opening game of this Champions League campaign. Very impressive away against Feyenoord. Yeah, I think they showed a different side to themselves as, as well. We saw them play um, 4-3-3, move away from playing uh, three at the back, but they managed to keep Jesus and Aguero in the same side. And uh, I think there are a lot of things that, uh, a lot of positives that Pep Guardiola will take from that performance. Like, for example, John Stones, 
um, who did his best kind of Sergio Ramos impression, I think, in uh, in that game. Considering that uh, United lost there uh, last year, I think it is a difficult place to go, considering the atmosphere that uh, they can create at Dick Hope. Um, but having said that... Um, yeah, you look at Dutch football in general, and it's in a seems to be in a pitiful state mm. at the moment. Given how Ajax couldn't get into the Champions League and then the Europa League, um, we saw what happened to Holland against France, and then Feyenoord uh, last night. So, yeah, um, I think they've they've got a lot of work to do in order to get get back. Good midweek for the Premier League sides in general. No Spurs winning at home at the game you were at, Michael. Yes, and I think that was maybe the most significant win of all the English teams. Uh, obviously, it wasn't by as big a margin as some of the others, but it was against top-class opposition. If you look at the group, Real Madrid are surely going to win it, and you'd be very surprised if Apoel came into the equation. So essentially, it's between Spurs and Dortmund for a place in the next round, and I thought Spurs were excellent. They played a little bit different to usual, didn't press particularly intensely in the opposition half at all, but sat back. And I think Pochettino realised that the pace of Kane and Son would really cause the Dortmund centre-backs problems. And the first two goals were actually very similar. Quite direct balls into the uh, left-hand channel. Two excellent finishes, uh, particularly from Kane, I think, because he showed strength and pace and then you know presence of mind in front of goal. I guess the last one is no surprise by this point. They rode their luck a little bit. I mean, there was a disallowed goal, right. which was wrongly disallowed when Aubameyang had the ball in the net. Um, but to be fair, Spurs had plenty of chances. They, they could have scored more than three goals. Interesting. I mean, it was a terrific performance, particularly given all that, the, the, the talk about hoodoo and whether or not that was weighing on the players' minds. This victory at Wembley is going to, one would imagine, do them the world of good both in the Champions League and, and in domestic competition. Yeah, and I think for the supporters as well, you know, for a lot of uh, supporters based uh, close to Tottenham, it's quite a trek to get over to Wembley. Mm. It's not a particularly pleasant journey. I was actually really impressed with the atmosphere. It's the first time I've been there for a Spurs home game, um, but the Spurs fans made a, a great noise. All right, there was a lot of talk, in fact, of I think the third Spurs goal was the moment that Wembley became their home. Yeah, I, I, can, I can kind of get that, yeah. Um, I mean, the funny thing is that for a team trying to make it their home, it was actually very much an away performance. They kind of conceded possession. They let Dortmund have the ball and played on the break. So, uh, yeah, maybe in terms of style, it'll be different in the in the Premier League when they're up against very deep teams and, and have to try and break them down. Right. Harry Kane, 29 goals in 2017. The same as Cristiano Ronaldo, just saying. Johnny Nicholson says, how does Kane look slow and yet be so fast? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was an interesting story that uh, Frank Lampard's dad and Harry Redknapp uh, were, were saying one day that um, Frank Lampard's dad remembered having seen a, a very young Harry Kane and saw pretty quickly that he struggled on the first two yards of his runs all the time. And he made him work on that, on that explosivity that Kane didn't have apparently as a, as a young player. And Frank Lampard was saying the story yesterday that... Um, they worked a lot on that and Kane got that sort of extra second of pace from those, those, those first two or three or four steps and the, the two first yards th- that has made a difference in his game big time. And, and you could see that now on, on his goal, the, the way, the way you know, he, he took that ball and accelerated, especially at the beginning of his run, was, was fantastic. Mm. Unlike Harry Redknapp to take credit for a player going to the next level. So he used to have a really slow start, like Tottenham that year he took over. And then... <laughs> Colin Williams says, will Kane leave for greater acclaim elsewhere? Or can you see him doing a Letizia or a Totti and sticking around at Spurs? Well, 
I mean, he's tied his long-term future to the club, um, and yeah, he seems to buy into um, what it means to play for Spurs. But um, yeah, I think uh, Spurs have uh, developed sort of a, a kind of, I think, a corporate culture of that club where I think a lot of the players see themselves there, um, think it's the best place for them. I do think they have to break through that glass ceiling, though, and, and actually win something in order for um, for the project, if you like, to go to the to the next level. Uh, I know people hate that term, but uh, it certainly has a bearing on players, um, the considerations that they make for their future. So, mm. yeah, I think they are all behind the manager. They respect what the manager has done for their careers. Um, but yeah, I'd say the, the longer it goes on without them winning something, you would you you would think the temptation to leave would be would be greater. And you also have to wonder where he might go. I mean, English players don't generally go abroad almost in, unless they have to. Um, and you look around the Premier League, I mean, Manchester City have got Gabriel Jesus, uh, Manchester United have got Lukaku and Chelsea have got Morata, who are all in their early 20s. And, and that seems to be a long-term plan for them. So you wonder whether they're going to come in, any of those clubs are going to come in with, you know, God knows how much money it would take to, to prize Kane away, but over £100 million, you'd have to say. Mm. Um, it seems unlikely considering their existing options. You also wonder if Spurs would go against um, their um, policy of kind of underpaying players relative to how good they are uh, and making him sort of you know, one of the highest paid players in the Premier League, which, to be honest, his performances over the last three years oh. deserve. Meanwhile, on that whole front, Deli Alley has just changed managers. He's now with uh, George Mendes, so oh. Wolves in his future, no doubt. Uh, right, OK. Well, you, you mentioned Aubameyang's terrific what half volley for what would have been the equaliser had the linesman not incorrectly flagged it as offside. But Spurs do get the three points, uh, and that's great. Who else was in that group? Well, that was Real Madrid, of course, who had that 3-0 win against Apple Nicosia. No big surprise there. The only one of the, with Man United winning at home to Basel, uh, three goals there. The the knock the knock for them. Paul Pogba going off with a hamstring problem. They're talking about what a month out, six weeks. Yeah, um, yeah which means he could could miss their kind of first test, I suppose, of the the season, which is against Liverpool at the beginning of October. So. Right. They've got Everton uh, this weekend. We'll talk more about that in a second or two. The only one of the Premier League sides that that didn't win, of course, was Liverpool. Looked like they were going to for a while, while uh, long while after after a shaky start. Ben Yedder exposing all those much talked about defensive frailties uh, f- for a Sevilla's opening goal. Yeah, I mean, Sevilla were clinical. Uh, they only had two shots on target, and they took both of them. And yeah, that opening goal uh, was just a comedy of errors. I think there were three uh, in the build-up to it. Uh, it could have been cleared on each of those occasions by Chan, uh, Gomez, and Lovren, and it wasn't. And Liverpool reacted well, um, and I think yeah that was encouraging to see, particularly on the back of the the five nil that they uh, suffered at, to Man City at the weekend. I thought um, Salah played uh, very well. Um, yeah, we saw that uh, on the second goal in particular, um, which yeah he uh, lost the ball, won it back, and then scored. Um, and it then yeah really looked like they were going to push on because Firmino had that penalty which he missed. And uh, it was the same old story for Liverpool because, uh, again, I think they, they threw away 18 points from winning positions last season, um, which yeah, if, you, if you contrast that with that Spurs, Spurs I think only threw away five. Um, and we've seen it again at, at Watford, you know, they went behind, but they, they, were, they were 3-2 up in that game, weren't they? And then they conceded. And it's just, it's um, how, an exciting team, paradoxically also very boring because it's quite predictable just how, how this just keeps on happening for Liverpool. Yeah, I think the defence probably needs to be to be worked on in terms of a unit. 
Um, but the the mistake that Lovren made yesterday, I mean, I'm not sure how you can blame that on Klopp, really. I mean, maybe you can talk about very external factors in terms of him not feeling comfortable. This is Lovren not feeling comfortable or something in, in the heart of defence, but he basically just fails to kick the ball. I mm. mean... You can't really blame Klopp for that. I guess you can't. I guess you can't. No, but you not, can, sorry, but you can mm-hmm. blame Klopp for not signing someone better than Lovren or well, better maybe than Klavan. But he did try. I mean, he was trying for Van Dijk the whole time. Is there just one centre-half in the whole world that Liverpool can sign that are better than what they have who are pretty average? Surely, as when you work on a transfer strategy, you have your first choice and you say, OK, Van Dijk is the one we need mm. and the one we want. But surely you have a plan B and a plan like C. Like okay. do. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, but oh, and in case in case the plan plan A doesn't work, you can have a plan B that is not so far away from as good as your plan A was. Mm-hmm. And you think, okay, it's a shame for Van Dyke, but I don't know, let's say Marquinhos. Wow, Marquinhos is still pretty good. Right. Let's spend the or money. Or Shida, another Southampton. No, no, but do you see what <laughs> I mean? And, and I think I, I just, I'm amazed that they, because they couldn't get Van Dijk, they just didn't get anyone else. Well, we saw last night that Davinson Sanchez played for Spurs. We've also saw Chelsea. Chelsea, again, a team in the transfer market who seemingly every year under Antonio Conte can't get their first choice player and yet they go yeah, out and get yeah. they go out and get someone who can do a job for them like for example Rudiger so you know it's um it's it is a it is a strange strategy to just say if we can't get Van Dijk we will not get anyone just as like um for example we're not going to sell Coutinho because you know we can't bring in someone who we yeah you know, like for example we saw Correa last night who seemed to be very good for uh, Sevilla he could probably have done the job um, instead of Coutinho for a fraction of the price. Mm. So. Coutinho, who did make his he return, was warmly applauded by the uh, the crowd at Anfield uh, when he came on during the game. Not all bad for Liverpool because uh, the other game in that group, Maribor against Spartak, ended all square, so no one's taken the advantage there. Little bit of trouble in that game pre-match. There were kind of running battles between truncheon-wielding uh, s- policemen and supporters in balaclavas and black T-shirts, all a little bit reminiscent of of Marseille and then during the game somebody firing a rocket which very nearly took out the referee in the centre circle it was quite ex- quite extraordinary regrettable scenes there at the Garden of the People unsavoury unsavoury yeah. also this midweek Barcelona took on Juve yikes <laughs> didn't score against them last time they certainly did this time didn't they James oh they did Messi scoring his first goals uh, against Gigi Buffon um it was a statement performance, I think, from Barcelona. Sent a message to uh, the Champions League and the rest of Europe that uh, despite being in crisis as an institution and losing a player as big as Neymar, they are still a force to be reckoned with. Um, and yeah, it was, in Juve's case, quite similar to what happened to them in the Champions League final in Cardiff in May because um, they stayed in the game uh, for the first half. In fact, you might say that they actually had... Um, the better chances um, and then uh, Barca seemed to just go up another gear and um, Juventus faded physically I think to some extent Dybala who yeah, again was kind of accused of going missing in this match I think he has covered uh, in the league for the fact that Juventus uh, in terms of you know, fitness their athletic condition isn't what it perhaps should be at the, at the moment they were missing a lot of players I mean I think um, six of the players who started for Juventus in the 3-0 win uh, against Barcelona and Turin were either have either been sold or were injured. So, um, yeah, in some respects, you could say that this game came too soon for them. But, yeah, certainly asked some big questions about them, particularly at the back. Right. Very impressive, though, from Barcelona. And Messi's now got seven in, in his last three games. That's 
That's pretty good. Uh, Napoli also uh, getting beaten in uh, Man City's group by Shakhtar away. Huh. Uh, oh, one other team to mention, and that's Besiktas. Are you excited by Besiktas, Michael? Their social media campaign has been excellent. Yeah, hasn't it? Come to Besiktas. Yeah. And loads of players have taken them up on that. We were looking through the, the squad yesterday. It's, it's kind of like a, a where are they now? If there's a player you're not quite sure where they've gone to, <laughs> chances are they're at Besiktas. Yeah, the Turkish league in general, to but be fair. It's specifically. <laughs> no, I mean, Alvaro Negreda, where's he? Besiktas. Charisma. Well, he, he was already there. Taliska. Gary Medell, where's yeah. he? He's, he's at Besiktas. Ryan Barbel. At Besiktas and scoring his first Champions League goal since 2009 as they won, went to Porto and won 3 1. Yeah. I mean, you might say this team has been perfectly built to beat Portuguese sides because they're, you know, either their, their agent is Jorge Mendes or they have a past in Portugal. So, um, yeah. But uh, they, this is a team that uh, I think is intent on, on doing things in, in Europe. Um, yeah. Remember, I think Galatasaray, the only Turkish side to actually ever win. A European trophy. I don't think Besiktas have legitimate ambitions of winning the the Champions League, but certainly um, getting into the knockout stages. And we saw them get a uh, another sort of big win last time out when they when they beat Napoli on the road as well. In there mm. because they you know they fly into all these away games on their kind of black eagle plane, don't they? Which is which is quite an exciting little charter jet. Speaking of flying, how about Cenk Tuzan's winner for Besiktas? Well, it was the, I think it was the third goal. What a rocket that was. What, what about Iker Casillas, though? Mm. Well, yeah. Not, I was more shocked by Casillas than by the shot. That oh, is... It was a fantastic strike. Really? Wasn't it? No. I thought Michael? it was more to do with Casillas failing to save it, or even to touch the, bl- the bloody ball, than Tosin with a top corner, you know, getting rid of the, uh, the spider web just in that little top corner there. It was not in the top corner. It was not even that close to the post either. It's just Casillas being well, a bit rusty, a bit old and, you know. Mm. We love him. We love him. There's no, but he made a mess on this one. He made a mess on the third one, the mm. bubble one as well. He should have saved that too. Okay. This is 19th season in the Champions <laughs> well, League. Well, yeah, maybe. It's a lot of seasons. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Anyway, that is about as comprehensive a Champions League roundup as you could hope to have. Unless there's anything I missed. I know that Marco Asensio missed uh, Real Madrid's game because he got an infected cut on his leg yes. from shaving his legs, which a lot of people have been quite sniffy about. But when you're having, as former pros know, uh, when you're having daily massages with oils, you do need to shave your legs to prevent in, in, you know, infection. Ironically, that's what led to his infection. Do you shave your legs, Michael? No, never have done. Okay. No, not despite being a relatively frequent cyclist. Okay, no. there you go. Talking, talking about shaving, Mathieu Valbuena, oh, yeah. when he was at Marseille, used to shave his back in the shower at the, at the club's training ground every Monday. <laughs> Shave his back. Yeah. How did it? Did he have help, yeah. or did he have a long yeah, yeah, stick? Yeah, no, he was like a he selfie was doing stick. like his shoulders like that, and yeah. Valbuena. And the, I mean, the back especially, but also a bit of the torso, and yeah. Okay. Does he? Ha- is he a very hirsute man? He 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 used to have a butler in his house, a guy who was doing everything for him, preparing his little bags when he was going away, right? Cooking. Maybe not everything. I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, I knew there was one of you who obviously. No, no, but no, no, I'm but confused. I, mean, I asked if he was hairy. No, but a lot of now players. To his personal uh, stuff. No, no, but a lot of players have chefs, which is fair yes. enough, who cook for them and mm-hmm. make sure that the food is healthy and, you know, balanced and all of that. Mm-hmm. But Butler, I haven't heard anyone who has a Butler. He also had somebody who did the filming for him, didn't he? <laughs> did he? Yeah. To oh, hold the oh, camera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did the Butler yeah. always have to wear like a. Uh, 
a tuxedo. The, I don't know how the butler was dressed. He was, I don't think, naked and uh, he's, um, you know, how sometimes... I don't know. Yeah, oh, let's not go that way. But a butler yeah, in the butler. buff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, well, that, that was top information. Uh, thanks, Julien. No, it's, it's, it's all good. So, anything else about the Champions League this midweek? A little bit one-sided, but quite spectacular. And I wonder, is there one team that you think after that... Ooh, they're going to do really well for me. It's Besiktas, or are you still of the opinion that it's Real Madrid's to three peat? I think Real Madrid are the strong, are strong favourites. Yeah, James yeah. Sporting after uh, Tuesday night's <laughs> incredible win against Olympiacos, which well, was yeah. a thrilling game. It was. It although it did become quite tight at the end, yeah. didn't it? Three, three, two. Julian Besiktas, obviously. No, no. Just one, just one last thing on uh, Frank Ribery, ah, who good. was very stroppy when he was subbed off after seventy-eight minutes. It's hardly a humiliation to be subbed off in a game where he was not very good anyway at 34 years of age. Threw his shirt on the floor, Carlo Ancelotti not impressed. Asan Salihamidzic, who is now the, the sort of like first team manager at Bayern, not happy at all. And I think, you know, they could sanction Ribery for, for being so disrespectful to the club, to the manager as well. And, you know, if I, it, if I was him, mm. I would be very careful. It's a simmering pot of tension, isn't it? Bayern Munich. Mm. And you wonder how one act of dissent spreads to the rest of the uh, compromises, the rest of the, the the players' team spirit. We've seen Lewandowski calling out the club over some of their decisions. We've Muller. seen Thomas Muller uh, speaking in very direct terms about Carlo Ancelotti. I don't know what qualities he looks for in a player, but I know that I don't have them. <laughs> Which is, I mean, this is a big yeah. shot. So, yeah, trouble brewing despite that score. And Bayern, as we mentioned, all the way down in fifth. Anyway, we're going to be looking forward to what the Premier League has in store for us in a moment or two. First of all, though, on the subject of shaving. Listeners, you like stats, and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. I enjoyed that. Uh, anyone going to a game this weekend, Michael? Yeah, I'm going to Bournemouth against Brighton on the Are Friday you? and then uh, Chelsea against Arsenal on the Sunday, which I count as two derbies, even though Brighton-Bournemouth isn't a derby. But if you're on the South Coast, it's a derby for me. Mm. In fact, if you're on, if you're on any coast... Blackpool against Plymouth would be a derby for me. They're both words. They're both begin with B. Like West East Coast kind of, <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, again. LA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm interested yeah. to know about your uh, Bournemouth Brighton trip. But I guess Chelsea Arsenal is the match that most people will, will put at the top of the list for this weekend. Coming on Sunday, uh, the early kickoff there. They just met in the Community Shield where where the Gunners won a tight affair on penalties. But prior to that, the FA Cup final also saw Arsenal victorious. Why is it then, Michael, that very few people, I imagine, are predicting a win for Wenger this time around? Well, I guess because of Arsenal's start to the campaign and the fact that Chelsea, despite a few problems in, in pre-season, have looked very solid. Mm. I think it's a really interesting game when you look at it over the last year or so since Conte took charge. That game at the Emirates last year was the, the game where Conte first switched to three at the back and, of course, that propelled them to the title. When the teams met at Stamford Bridge last year, it was just very obvious that Chelsea's system got the better of Arsenal's. Arsenal couldn't deal with the overlapping wing-backs in uh, Alonso Moses. And then by the FA Cup final, Wenger had changed to the system that, that Chelsea had um, had switched to themselves and completely outplayed Chelsea, really. I'm not sure how much impact the, um, the Community Shield game will have, but I think this should be quite a good game. Arsenal looked quite lively against Bournemouth last weekend. Um, but their record at Stamford Bridge is really bad. They've lost the last five there. Right, including that 6-0 in uh, Wenger's 1,000th game in charge against Arsenal is also the fact that they're going to be in action on Thursday night 
may well have happened by the time you hear this, listeners, uh, at home to Cologne. Plus, oh yeah, they're really, really bad away to other teams from the top six. <laughs> uh, they haven't won away, indeed, against any of those sides from the top six last season in 13 attempts. Yikes. What's the mood like, Julien? It's a bit better. I think the international break came at the right time after the, the Liverpool defeat and a lot of them went away with the national teams, came back. Like Michael said, the Bournemouth game was a, was a good win. I think there's a lot of questions for Arsene Wenger to answer for this game. Do you, do you drop Danny Welbeck? Do you bring Alexis Sanchez back? What do you do with Lacazette? You dropped him against Liverpool where he was your record signing because you put Welbeck in for his pace and the fact that he runs in behind more than, more than Lacazette, which is probably what you will try to to do against mm-hmm. Chelsea as well. So, would you put Welbeck instead of Lacazette? But can you really bench Lacazette again in the in the second top games that you have this season? What you do with Alexis Sanchez? So, I think there's a lot of questions against for him to answer. And 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 once again, he will have to make the right decisions if he wants Arsenal to to do well because this could also be another one where. It's just one-way system for, for Chelsea, like a bit like what we saw at Stamford Bridge last season. Mm, that little flicker of optimism left alive after the Bournemouth performance. Is, is Conte going to grind his heel down on it? In every, snuff it out. Snuff it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's uh, been encouraging for Chelsea is, uh, I mean, OK, it's only Carabag. But you look at the, the depth that they've now got in that squad. Uh, I think a lot of players coming in and contributing and hitting the ground running straight away which uh, I think, again, is credit to Conte. I think it also helps, for example, in the case of Zappacosta, that he's worked with him before and that he's played in a similar system before. Um, yeah, I just think Chelsea now um, look like yeah, sort of favourites again for the title um, just because they they seem so, so just dependable um, again. And uh, I, would, uh, yeah, I would anticipate that um, that kind of really that kind of encouraging run that Arsenal have had in the last two games against uh, against Chelsea will will probably come to an end um uh on Sunday which genuinely is a super Sunday actually and con- certainly in contrast with last weekend right because one of Chelsea's big rivals going later that day Man United taking on Everton and of course an emotionally charged match this Return for a Man United goal-scoring legend against his former club, Marin Fellaini. Vadum <laughs> 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 Tish. And, and Mourinho will be delighted to have him back, uh, citing his absence against Stoke as the, the real reason for them dropping points there. And Fellaini uh, taking over from Pogba in the midweek game against Basel and scoring. Yeah, Fellaini, um, who is like Liam Neeson in Taken, in that he has a very particular set of skills. Um, every time he comes on, uh, he seems to improve United. Um, we saw that in the Super Cup against Real Madrid, um, saw it against uh, Swansea, uh, West Ham, and also, um, obviously, on Tuesday night. Uh, and, yeah, he is a very odd uh, footballer in, in his skill set, but, yeah, he is someone who, yeah, Jose Mourinho um, absolutely adores. You calling him odd, here's Phil C asking, if Fellaini didn't have funny hair... Would he be better appreciated? It's a question you could ask, or they did used to ask, of David Luiz, didn't they? Big frizzy perms, are they a no-no for, for, for footballers? Well, clearly not, because these two players have become... And yet the critics. Yeah. And yet the critics. Exactly. Yes. Maybe we should all have these, these big perms. Mm. Um, but you certainly could. It's so you, definitely, yeah. Mm, yeah, I've never been able to get the, the curl. Have um, you ever tried it? No, no. <laughs> even in humidity, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't go out like that. But, All right. Um, Wade Rooney, of course, also making his return. He's had a busy time of it of late. And it's Everton's side uh, looking very shaky last weekend 
at home to Spurs, and they'll have followed that up with a Thursday night trip to Bergamo. Well, actually, not to Bergamo because they're playing at Reggio Emilia yeah. to take on Atalanta. Um, Ronald Koeman after the Spurs game saying the toffees are too nice. Is that the issue there, do you think, Michael? Uh, not particularly. I'd say the issue is they don't have much pace in the side. They played 4-2-3-1 last week with Rooney, Sigurdsson and Klaassen um, behind the front man, which is just bafflingly slow in this in this kind of era. Um, I think the interesting thing here is that um, Mourinho has never beaten Koeman in five attempts in the Premier League and there's no other manager in the Premier League that he's played five times and hasn't beaten before. So um, what the reason for that is, I'm not quite sure, but he, he obviously has some kind of uh, hold over Mourinho. Right. Do, do you see that run going to six this weekend? I'd be very surprised, actually. I've been... Actually, not disappointed with Everton because I, I didn't expect much from them, to be honest. But I think they've mm. been very poor so far this season. They've only looked uh, bright in that game against City when they played uh, Calvert-Lewin up front. Right. And he stretched the play and, and provided some pace. And they're, they're going to have to provide some kind of pace if they have any chance of beating United here. To be fair to Everton, they've had a horrendously hard fixture list at the start of the season. I mean, they've played pretty... I mean, Chelsea, played, Spurs, now Man United. Yeah, City. City as well. So, um, and given they've got so many new players to integrate, um, yeah, it's going to take time. It's just been a very unforgiving start for them, I think. Right, and it looks set to continue this weekend. Old Trafford, Lukaku, of course, also a former player uh, for the opposition, uh, who was on target midweek as well. A lot of people saying, can you do it on the big games? Not sure if Basel qualifies, but still uh, good for him. And, and a fine a fine performance from him uh, by all accounts of the Champions League. I was kind of watching other other things. How much will Paul Pogba being out, how much is that going to impact Man United this year? It's huge. I mean, we don't know yet. I think the, the length of his of his absence it could be four weeks, it could be a bit more, I think. I, I don't know. I, th- I think he had the best start of, of, of a season in a long time. Even at Juve, I can't remember him starting so well. Not so much in terms of, you know, scoring 50 goals and 50 assists, but in the influence he had on the team, and how good he was feeling in that team, you know, in that position with Matic behind him. I think that freed him a lot. Even even mentally, psychologically, I think he, he realised that he could do more things than, than, than maybe last season. Uh, and I think it would be a big blow to him. I, th- I do believe that he's played far too much and with too much intensity so far this season. I would have rested him. I would have rested him against Basel even before seeing the injury. And I think maybe it was a mistake from Mourinho not to give him a bit of a rest in a game that United would have won anyway with or without him and I think they, you know, they will miss him a lot They didn't win the three games that they played without him last year when uh, he got injured in the game against Rostov um, Actually no they did win one they beat Borough but they drew against West Brom and uh, against Everton uh, funnily enough but um, but yeah I think uh, Pogba uh, last year he I think it was in that during that, his time out that people began to realise um, kind of what a creative force he was for that United team because I think he created like 53 chances for the team but um, only they only had he only had four assists I think he ended with so I think um, there was this sort of idea that United didn't take the chances um, with Pogba but they didn't make any chances without him hmm. so. Now later oh I do beg your pardon yeah we didn't make any chances without him so there is that for Everton this weekend. OK, uh, Saturday, Man City travelling to Watford. We talked about the whopping win they had at final. The whole world. In fact, now it's been two massive wins in a, in a row. Nine goals scored, none conceded. And everybody raving about the new partnership of Aguero and Jesus. Pep pretty much certain to bench them and have Kevin De Bruyne as a false nine then. Because that's kind of what he does, <laughs> you know. Um, how, how, do, how do you feel about their chances of rolling over the Hornets? 
who of course last weekend were surprise winners at Southampton. If I can go first, I mean, I, th- I think they're in the form. It's, it's the first time against Feyenoord, I have to say, and against Liverpool, although they were 11 against 10. It looked like they finally got everything that Pep wants from them. And that it's, it's, it's taken him all that long to finally get them to what he wants. And Feyenoord were poor yesterday, let's, on, on Wednesday evening, let's be fair. But the movement of the ball from every one of them was just crazy. It was fantastic to see. And I think that when they're in that kind of form, they're unstoppable. No one can stop them. And he, yesterday you had Bernardo Silva playing where he hardly featured the season in the Premier League. He started against Bournemouth, but that, that was it. He came in like if he's never, you know, like if he'd played 50 games already in that formation with those players before with that manager. And Benjamin Mendy, the same. And Jesus played on the left first in that 4-3-3 formation where usually him and Aguero are up front when you play three at the back. But even even on that sort of unusual position for him, it looked great. Aguero and Jesus have started seven games together. They scored 12 goals between them, six and six. Wow. Which is, for some, I've heard a few weeks ago, saying, ah, it's not really working, it's not great. Well, I'm, I'm not sure what's not working, but mm. clearly they're working well together. OK. Even at the back, things are looking good. Clean sheets, no company, and I presume he's still out for... For this game, but John Stone's looking like a, a player reborn. What's behind that? I mean, two goals in the Champions League at, at Feyenoord make him the joint top scorer in the competition this year alongside Messi, Ronaldo, and <laughs> Harry Kane and, and others. Uh, but also, much more solid. Michael, is that fair or is it just the opposition that uh, didn't trouble? A little bit of both. Personally, I think it's, it's helped them that Company hasn't been there. I think Company has not been a top-class defender for three or four years now, has lots of spells out injured, is the kind of player I think physically takes five or six games to get back to his best. And it seems as, as soon as he gets there, he, he then gets another injury. And what you want at the heart of your defence more than anywhere else is um, a reliable partnership. And mm. I think Stones and Otamendi, I still have my doubts about Otamendi, the amount he dives into challenges, but they look like they've got a good relationship now. And I'm not sure that it's really worthwhile them continually trying to bring back company and disturbing what seems to be a, a developing partnership. Interesting line, because I'd, I'd always heard it said that Stones would only benefit from having someone reliable like company beside him. It's, it's been a long time since company's had a good season. Yeah, I mean, we're talking maybe five years now. Really? Company, <laughs> company has, has long been on Michael's blacklist, along with Coutinho, I think. Oh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> it's right. true. Oh, we'll talk more about Coutinho perhaps a little bit later on. Of course, Marco Silva, Watford manager, has such a terrific record at home, wherever he, wherever he's in charge, and Watford unbeaten this season under Silva. Skies are saying, if Watford beat Man City on Saturday to go top of the table, will people finally start to take their title challenge seriously? They're up in fourth as we speak, James. Yeah, I think on uh, the first podcast, I tipped them to be the kind of revelation of, Did of this season. Did you? Have very pressing which, which wasn't really going to be that hard, considering yeah. they were the, they finished bottom of the teams that stayed up. <laughs> but Marcus Silva, considering what he did at, uh, at uh, Hull, are very impressive. And you, you just hear the noises coming out of the training ground. For example, Rich Allison, um, he was saying that uh, the level of detail that uh, Silver goes into uh, uh, you know, when they're doing their sessions is just unbelievable. His mm. door's always open. Um, yeah, he t- takes a lot of time to speak to players individually, lay everything out for them. But yeah, he's made that defence uh, solid. Um, and you look at the midfield combination that they've got with Ducure, who never got a look in uh, under Walter Mazzari, um, Shalaba and Cleverly. And they look dangerous going forward. They, they just seem to be one of the, the best coach teams in the league at the moment. Ah, I'm looking forward to that game then. It's the early kickoff, isn't it? Oh, no, it's not. It's it's a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Of course, the early kickoff is Bournemouth Brighton game? That's Friday. That's Friday. 
The early one is very early, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the early kickoff is the Crystal Palace, Palace game. Yeah. All right. I tell you what, a moment or two while I get the matches straight in my head, and then we'll be back with more of the Premier League fixtures. So you're saying, Michael, it all kicks off on Friday evening with Bournemouth Brighton. And you've chosen to go there because Bournemouth are really rubbish? <laughs> um, well, slightly. I mean, I always try and get to see uh, all the 20 teams as early, as early as possible in the campaign. Mm. And these are two that, you know, are maybe two of the less prominent sides in the Premier League, if we can put it that way. I mean, I think Bournemouth's struggles have really gone under the radar. Everyone's focused on Palace, obviously, because of the change of manager. West Ham because they're you know always just quite funny, um, but Bournemouth. I mean, they've lost their first four games of the season. If they make that five, um, then that will be a terrible record comparable with Portsmouth in two thousand nine ten and Sunderland in two thousand five six, which are two of the the worst all time teams in the Premier League. So, but are uh, they that are they that bad, or is it just things haven't gone their way? I think they've been a little bit unfortunate, particularly that home game against Manchester City when they conceded a very late equaliser. Um, but the game against Arsenal, I thought last last weekend was. Um, Quite worrying. I mean, they were just completely outplayed to the extent that Eddie Howe had to change his system after about half an hour. Um, This is the kind of game at home to Brighton, obviously a team who will be uh, fighting for survival that I think they have to win or or else serious questions might start to be asked. All right. Brighton, who just coming off that victory over West Brom uh, and may have Gaetan Bong back. Is that right? Yeah. I'm not familiar with Gaetan Bong. <laughs> Played in France for a long time. Tell us more about Gaetan Bong. Left back, Give us some solid. hits from the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Funny name, I give you that. Yeah. Not very good with the ball, but, you know, reliable and solid. Crazy name, crazy guy. Uh, down that end of the table, Crystal Palace will be unveiling their brand new manager, Roy Hodgson, as they welcome Saints. Daniel Story with an interesting piece in on Football 365 where he says, are Southampton the next club in crisis? They've only managed to score in one of their four league matches so far. Two of the three goals they managed have been penalties. And this really, despite an incredibly easy fixture list at the start of this campaign, the summer signings to comprise of two central defenders and a defensive midfielder, which, given that they have such huge problems at the other end of the team going forward, is a bit surprising. Is Southampton a club who, when their easy fixtures run out, is suddenly going to plumb it like a stone, Michael? New manager coming in. They're quite defensive and well organised this this year, and I think they might actually have a decent record against teams that are better than them. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the point is certainly correct that you know to score in one of your four games is, is not very exciting. But I'm quite looking forward to this game, which is strange considering you know Palace haven't scored in in their four games either. Well, it's um, not that strange because Roy Hodgson is back, and that's it, it's going to be interesting, though. I mean, yeah. last time we saw uh, Roy, uh, speaking personally anyway, was that press conference in Nice when he was wondering what all the fuss was about after <laughs> England lost to Iceland. But in terms of what he's going to bring to Crystal Palace, apart from getting Benteke to take the corners Harry Kane style, what else do you think he's going to change for the Eagles? I think he's a really perfect appointment for Palace, actually. If you look at his... Because he's from Croydon. Well, partly because he's from... I think that's quite a nice story. I mean, he was at Crystal Palace as a teenager, as a young man. He hasn't been back at the club for 51 years. You think this could probably be his last job in football. Um, He's the first ever Premier League manager to be appointed after the age of 70, Mm. which everyone are kind of laughing about. Oh, he's an old man. But that longevity is absolutely incredible. And I think for a man, you know, a very rare Englishman that has had a globe-trotting career, for him to potentially finish his career back at his hometown club, I think is a really great story. Uh, It might well turn out to be Frank de Boer's last job in football as well. Are you expecting a, a, a similar uplift in the players' performances uh, like we saw, for example, when Craig Shakespeare came in for Ranieri at Leicester? 
Yeah, you you would think so. Uh, they would be better organised because clearly there was a lot the of, ball was mm, all over the place a bit. There was a lot of talk that they weren't happy with him and that's the reason for the, the yeah, change. I do think that players in England, whether they're English or not, are far too comfortable. And I think there's, there's a time where if a new manager comes with new ideas, you also have to think, OK, you know, all those all the things that he's asking us to do can't, can't just be bad for us. So maybe instead of moaning and saying like, oh no, but why why a double session today or why this and why that? Maybe just go along with it and see. Antonio Conte, when he arrived at Chelsea, a lot of players were not happy at the beginning with his methods and with the, the intensity of training and then they got to it and they won the league. So mm. I, I, I do think the just players think didn't give a fair... what the ball could have achieved. No, 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 no it's not that. <laughs> no, but it's, you know, I think it's easy to blame this saying, oh, but, you know, he didn't have the players to, to fit his philosophy and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not sure the players gave him a, a fair chance, really. Yeah. So, but, I don't know. I, I get Michael, I get the romantic side of Hudson going back to Palace. I, I just don't get the planning they do. I don't get what Parrish is doing. For me, it's a, it's it, a shamble. It does seem to be a, a direct contradiction of what they were saying they wanted to do yeah. during the summer. But, but he does very much suit the team that they've got. Right. I mean, they brought in De Boer, but then they only made one signing that suits the way he plays for whatever failings in the transfer market. But then you're left with a squad that really isn't suited to playing the way that De, De Boer wants to. And much as they're, you know, it's been a complete shambles, I think they probably deserve some degree of not credit, but maybe understanding for taking quite an early decision that actually this probably isn't going to work and getting in a manager who will just work really well with that squad. You know, he's very good at drilling teams in two banks of four. His job at Fulham, I think people have forgotten about, was magnificent, getting mm. them to the Europa League final. With and a very also unlucky... keeping them up the year before that, when it looked like they were dead and buried. Yeah, and they were very unlucky to lose that Europa League final, actually. Mm. He did a very good job at West Brom. And you look at the Switzerland. players... Switzerland. And you look at the players he's got. I mean, he's the... O- I genuinely think he's the only manager to have got anything good from Andres Townsend so far. And Townsend was genuinely excellent for, for England in those games towards the end of uh, World Cup 2014 qualifying. Zaha, he had some problems with, but he was the man to give him his England debut. He likes quick counter-attacking wingers. I think Benteke will probably suit his style of football. And they've actually just got quite a good squad. You know, I think Kabay is a fantastic footballer if they can use him in the right position. Um, and just one last point, Palace weren't actually that bad under De Boer. I mean, that last game that they lost... You know, the, the mistake it. from Lee and, and the chances they missed at the end. I, I think it's actually a really good well, job to take over, really, for Hodgson. I mean, their expected goals is higher than, uh, higher than Chelsea's. An is average right? team would have scored five goals considering the chances that, uh, that Crystal Palace had. I, I, I'm still very confused about expected goals and I don't want to understand. <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we also blame Claude Puel for Southampton being so bad? Please do. Uh, people told me, oh, Claude Puel was rubbish, he was boring... Well, you got rid of him and now look where you are. He was so bad, they're still rubbish. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe it was not just all down to Claude Puel. Oh, I see what you're pointing... Uh, right, OK. Possibly so. How about Spurs taking on Swansea in the late game on Saturday? This was easy pickings for Tottenham last season. They beat the Swans 5-0 at the lane and 3-1 at the Liberty. And, of course, now that Wembley thing is, is over... Uh, are we expecting more of the same, uh, especially against the Swansea side that got done by Newcastle last weekend? Yes, uh, Tottenham have a very good record against Swansea. They've played 12 times in the Premier League, won 10, drawn 2. Really? Um, I think this is the kind of game where, you know, especially after that win in midweek, I think if Tottenham had dropped points against Dortmund, the fans would be really despondent back to Wembley. But now that they've won, it was a good atmosphere. This isn't maybe the most exciting fixture, but I think there'll just be a little bit of positivity around the club. And I think um, I think that's important for a club like Spurs that can kind of slip into being quite pessimistic sometimes. 
You can understand why as well, can't you? But yeah, spring in their step now. Uh, Liverpool, meanwhile, hosting Burnley, and this is exactly, am I right in saying, is this exactly the kind of team that Klopp's sides struggle with? Well, a team that but, sits back, but doesn't... Eaton. But Eaton's out. his shoulder. Yeah. I mean, in literal terms, I think they've won their last two home games against Burnley, but I agree, it's the type of team they do struggle against. Right. And the type, well, of, only, ga- the type of game where they need a player like Coutinho. They only just beat them. A figure suggests 2-1 at Anfield last season after losing 2-0 at Turf Moor earlier in the previous campaign. Uh, and Burnley, of course, these days can actually win on the road. We saw them get a point at Wembley and beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, they're a very good, well-organised side. I think Sean Dyche deserves a lot of credit for what he's done there without too many great attacking players. And I think Chris Kim, Wood? Yeah, well, Chris Wood's the kind of player that Liverpool seem to have problems with, a big centre-forward. Mm. Um, I imagine if they get set pieces, they'll just be hanging the ball up to the far post. Hey, no no, Sadio Mane, neither. No, obviously. And that's huge, Coutinho isn't it? Coutinho is back. Well, and Coutinho. like Oxy like said, Coutinho is, is much better in those kind of games anyway. You think? Yeah. Okay. With Why? no space, with nothing, when they're going to play 11 men behind the ball. Burnley. Doesn't Manny have more pace? But there won't be space for pace. Oh, anyway. I see. There's a so pace shooting outside the box. Exactly. And Coutinho certainly brings that. Yeah. No Tom Heaton because of his dislocated shoulder. So instead, it'll be uh, Nick Pope in between the posts for Burnley, but not that Nick Pope. I don't know if you've been following on Twitter. There's another Nick Pope who, who used to work for the Ministry of Defence and took charge of their UFO project. He's getting fed up of Burnley fans tweeting messages at him. He says, no, I'm an Arsenal fan. He doesn't explain, though, what his UFO project was. And I, for one, would be fascinated to know. Do you believe in UFOs, Julian? I don't. But maybe it's like super top secret and you can't really say anything, especially on But Twitter. it's he shouldn't really say, true. I ran the MOD's <laughs> UFO <laughs> project. I'm surprised even there's a, there's a project like that, that clearly some people are spending money on. Why are you surprised? Yeah. Don't you think the, the government, no uh, all government, I'm sure the French government have got a... Maybe, uh, maybe it's still more money wasted. We've seen this in football as well. There was a game in Italy in, the, was it the 50s? Absolutely. Fiorentina. Oh. Fiorentina, yeah. had the UFOs going Tell over the Artemio Frank. Yeah, so game was suspended because yeah. of ovnis. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's it's a story not, we're going to go back to. We're not still very sure yeah. by the story. No, but it, 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 there was a, a fleet, I think, of them that appeared yeah. above the Artemio Franchi. Yeah. And uh, all the players stopped and gazed upwards. Sadly, there's no photographic refer- uh, reference, but there are some nice... You know, the Italian papers often do those cartoons. Illustrations, There's yeah. some lovely illustrations. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, Liverpool-Burnley. Are, Liverpool, are they going to win it, Michael? Yay, nay? Yes. Really? Also this weekend, uh, West Brom taking on West Ham. They beat Huddersfield on Slavin Bilic's 49th birthday. What a present for him. Joe Hart. It was a magical night, really. <clears throat> Everything came together. Andy Carroll taking the field. Uh, Joe Hart keeping a clean sheet for the first time in 23 matches. Yeah. Did you see uh, La Stampa at the weekend? Uh, they had a match report after Torino beat Benevento. And uh, Salvatore Sirigu had a particularly good game. In fact, he was man of the match uh, for the Granata in that one. And the Pagella, the rating said, uh, more decisive in a single game than Hart was over an entire year. Wow. Uh, they're, they're really they're really good at info. But obviously, Joe, though, Joe was reading the stamp of that, uh, that uh, on Monday morning and yeah, put in that performance. He was fired up. Yeah. Would you like a stat about West Brom, West Ham? Or the Gareth Barry stat. No, what is the Gareth Barry stat? Well, it, I think Gareth Barry, if he plays, will, will match Ryan Giggs's, um all-time Premier League appearance record. And um, I think... There are six players in the Premier League who weren't even born when he made his debut. Wow. Yeah, something like that. It wasn't that stat. That's a good stat. 
Yeah. It's 634 yeah. matches, which, if you look at it, it's, it's just incredible. It's simply incredible to have been able to play all those games at that top level with the intensity of the, the English football game from, from when it started to now. Mm. And all the, you know, all the foreign players who've, who've come through the years as well, for him to keep playing and playing. Keep every, his job. No, no, but really, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> it is. Do you, do you want my West Brom stat? Yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah. Okay. So this match uh, against West Ham is going to be Tony Pulis's 99th league game in charge uh, at the Hawthorns, or at least with West Brom. Uh, in those 99 games, the Baggies have only exceeded 50% possession 10 times. And, they, and of those 10 matches, they only won four of them. What does it mean? I don't know. They're not a possession-based team. I, I, I think that's not a surprise. Huddersfield, who were beaten by West Ham last time out, face Leicester. Leicester have lost three of their opening four fixtures but nobody seems that bothered about it are they looking shaky yeah yeah, yeah. well Vardy started the season well but um well, and they they like Everton have had a admittedly very tough start to the season in terms of the opposition that they've right. come up against and their big signing sitting in the stands yeah uh, uh, last weekend Adrian Silva any word on that any chance that they'll be able to get FIFA to allow them that 14 seconds that they, they missed the deadline no, by? It's a dangerous precedent, Jimbo. Right. So he's just going to sit there until yeah, cool. January. Yeah. Well, he can't even train with them. Which which seems ludicrous to me. I don't really quite understand how you can rule on whether someone can have essentially a kick around in the park. With, right. I mean, like, I know it's more complex than that. But. It's like Suarez when he bit Chiellini. Yeah. Right. All football-related activity. Could he be alone somewhere else? Something, could, could they do well, something could like that? No, he's in limbo. Uh, could he? Yeah, before the... But end. the thing is, I think he would... He would then have played, by the time he could then go back to Leicester in January, mm. he would have, I think, already played they for two teams, two, yeah, Sporting and, say, a Turkish club. So he would then be ineligible to play for Leicester. Right. So it's, you know. He must be furious, though, because he did his bit and the club have just basically, or somebody, has let him down by 14 seconds. Or perhaps he's just thinking, I've got a very cushy three or four months until right, January. It's a World Cup here in Portugal. You know, you look at the midfielders that they've got. You know, mm. He's going to be missing four months of the season. Often you see players coming in in January, though, and they're just so fresh, so fired up, that they tear up the second half of the campaign. Perhaps that'll be what happens there. Uh, Newcastle taking on Stoke. It's a game we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Rafa, Rafa Benitez will be back. Will he shake hands with Sparky Hughes? <laughs> That's my question. I have to say, great piece on the whole business of shaking hands uh, by Adam Hurry, a.k.a. Football Clichés, on The Sportsman. Uh, and, and basically he details with a lot of video evidence how Hughes, who was at the centre, at the eye of a handshake storm last weekend when Mourinho failed to grasp his digits and do the, the necessary, and how Hughes is basically the grandmaster of handshake controversy because everywhere, up and down the league, every season, there's some bit of sideline tetchiness with him at the heart of it. I was excited by that. Uh, perhaps nobody else is. Uh, Mitrovic... Still suspended, Mbemba, Dummett and Dallo all injured, but Newcastle looking good last weekend, and uh, who knows what they may come up with against the Stoke side that got that uh, brave point against Man United, of course. Huh. Uh, but anyway, destination, other things after this. Tweet us at The Totally Show and find us on Facebook and at thetotallyfootballshow.com. 63 years ago, a football match ground to halt when unidentified flying objects were spotted above a stadium in Florence. Did aliens come to Earth? If not, what were they? That's the intriguing question posed by this online report that I'm reading to you about that 
that extraordinary match between Fiorentina and Pistoiesi. 10,000 fans were watching in the concrete bowl of the Stadio Artemio Frankie, but just after half-time, the stadium fell eerily silent. Then a roar went up from the crowd. Testimony here from one of the players on the field. I remember everything. It was something that looked like an egg that was moving slowly, slowly, slowly. Everyone was looking up. And also there was some glitter coming down from the sky. Silver glitter. Wow. It's a fascinating story, that. Listeners, the truth is out there. And in here. And in here. As we bring you facts about the championship this weekend. Uh, this midweek, rather, uh, Cardiff suffered their first loss of the season, Michael. They lost 3-0 at Preston, slipping to second place in the Championship. Hull lost again, 2-1 at Fulham. They're in real relegation bother now. Sunderland lost their fourth game in a row, 1-0 at home to Forest, while Sheffield United won their fourth game in a row against Bolton. Leeds beat Birmingham, putting them into the bottom three. Harry Reynolds, Birmingham, in the bottom three. A 2-0 defeat at Leeds. Leeds went to the top of the championship for the first time since they were relegated back in 2004. Wow. What about Aston Villa as well? 18th. Oh, yeah, they drew 0-0 with Borough. Yeah. One win in four. Mm. Things looking a little bit gloomy there, Jules, in the West, yeah. West Midlands. But here's some good news. Your friends at the Totally Football Show are heading up to the West Midlands to lift spirits with our very first live show in our new team colours, James. Yeah, this is going to be happening at the appropriately named Glee Club. Ah. This is happening at the Glee Club on Wednesday the 8th of November. Totally football, totally live, and you can get your tickets at glee.co.uk. Ha. All right. There'll be more of that championship news thing on Monday, and then on Tuesday as well. Is it a musical production? This the this it can be show. James. I don't know. Okay. I don't think we've really thought, uh, but I'm not averse to that myself. Anyway, regarding the championship, of course, you'll be aware that uh, the, the the very brand new Totally Football League podcast begins next Is our Tuesday. Not comprehensive enough? Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. No. Oh. Here's some questions from listeners. Craig Monroe, who's the next star of Rennes? Having produced Dembele and Bakayoko recently, I watched them, says Craig, against Marseille, and they were excellent. Their future star is called Ismail Assar. He's just signed for Mets in the summer for 15 million euros, Ooh. and he's 20, and he's, he's Ousmane Dembele, if you want. Another Ousmane Dembele, maybe not as good with both feet, but the pace and the skills, he's, he's got everything for such a young age. It's quite impressive. OK, Freddie... It wants to know if PSG have enough depth to compete on all fronts. I think they do. I think they do. I still don't think it's enough for them to win the Champions League because I think they, uh, maybe more than Mbappe and Neymar, they, they needed a defensive midfielder because I think Thiago Mota has as good and vicious as he is. In big, big games, I think he will show his limits. And I think they needed someone like Fabinho, for example, or someone... You know, physically stronger, someone who can run more than Thiago Mota, who can do more, simply enough, on the pitch. And I don't think they have that. They try very hard to get Fabinho or Seri, people like that, up mm. to the end. But there's a point where money, you know, money, money is an issue, even for them. So I think there's, there's still... Money a, is an issue. Yeah, even for so them. So maybe they shouldn't have bought two massive players exactly. up front. But they felt that Neymar, you, 
you, you couldn't pass once he was there. Uh-huh. And Mbappe, he was now or never because if they didn't buy him then, didn't right. buy him then, sorry, he would have gone somewhere else. And so. you were making the interesting point midweek that Mbappe was very much what Real Madrid thought they were doing with their money over the summer, a, a summer, a transfer market which saw the price record repeatedly broken. And Real Madrid, conspicuous almost by their their their, their, their lack of activity. Yeah, I mean, the story, as as I was told it, was that Real Madrid was the first club to find an agreement with Monaco over the sale of Kylian Mbappe and that Monaco pushed him, pushed him out towards Madrid, said to him, you need to get on the private jet to go to Miami, where Madrid were in their uh, pre-season tour to sign for Real Madrid. And Mbappe really felt like this is not what he expected from Monaco. He wanted to stay another year. He really didn't expect them to push him out like that. So he said, is that what you want? Then I will choose the club where I want to play next season then mm. because you want to send me. And he chose PSG for you know many reasons. I think he said the first, the main one is that he thought he would play more and it's not he thought it was a fact that he was going to play more at PSG than at Real Madrid. I think that's quite fair to say. And also because he's a Paris born and bred kid, because PSG was his club when he was a kid, uh, he, he made he made a lot of sense. But yeah, Madrid was almost the destination for him. Right. I think terrific business for PSG getting him on loan like that as well uh, Michele Martinelli says what do you make of Eusebio Di Francesco's start at Roma plus any news on the stadium you were watching Roma Michele uh, Cox <laughs> <laughs> yeah Atletico absolutely battered Roma in the mm. second half of this game to the extent that um Eusebio uh, Di Francesco made a very negative substitution, which was taking off the right side of forward Defrel and putting on Federico Fazio mm. and just going 5 4 1 for the last 25 minutes um, because Roma just couldn't get out and they basically needed another body to block the ball. I haven't been particularly impressed by him tactically so far. I think it's a great shame, actually, because over the last 10 or 15 years, Roma have always had very interesting managers, often doing interesting things. I can't really see much liveliness or much spark from this team, well, to be he, honest. He was regarded as the bright young thing, no, of, of Italian management when he took over at Sassuolo, took them from Serie B to Europe. Um, yeah, there was, was a rising star of, uh, of Italian coaching and people kind of drawing the same comparisons as with, with, um, with Massimiliano Allegri when mm. he went from Cagliari to Milan, for example. The problem that Di Francesco has is that um, the standards that were set at Roma last season were, were very, very high indeed. Um, club record points total. Um, and I think while they've added um, the depth that they were lacking last year, uh, the first team at the moment doesn't look as good. Um, and uh, I don't think he's maybe uh, suited to how he wants them to play. The Defrel substitution quite interesting because one of the criticisms of De Francesco so far has been that he's too rigid, that he doesn't ever move away from from four three three, and yeah, he's been called uh, a Zeman disciple, you know, and a kamikaze football. But instead, I mean, Roma, who collapse in games like these, mm. actually held it together. Allison, the goalkeeper, did was man of the match. Yeah, they kept a clean sheet at Atalanta, kept a clean sheet against Atletico. They obviously didn't play at the weekend. Collapsed They'd... previously against Inter. But well, no, they, I, they I played actually point. well against Inter. Yeah, um, but they... they were unlucky. Mm. All but right, then. I think it's it's early days for them. Okay, all right. Who are they playing this weekend? Verona. Are they? Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, other games this weekend. Well, the big story last weekend was, was, was Milan, who with all the money spent, a lot of people are saying, is it the return of the Rossoneri? It, it wasn't when they visited Lazio. What was it? 4-1, the final score. Yeah. They got absolutely taken apart. This weekend, Lazio are then going to be going to Genoa, where there's already talk of them replacing manager Ivan Juric, uh, possibly with Walter Mazzari. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, that'd be nice. Yeah, Matsadi is 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 on the market, um, but uh, yeah, I think it would be a shame because I think Juric is a good coach. I just think Genoa is such an unstable club, and at the moment, um, yeah, they've been trying to sell uh, for a, for a while. It looked like that takeover was going to be completed after the January transfer window. It's dragging on, and I, I just think it hasn't really helped. Genoa sell their best players every year, mm. um, so yeah, I think he's actually quite a smart guy, Juric. So. Uh, but Walter Mazzari, I'm looking forward to him coming in and uh, chewing on water bottles and right. frustrating, blaming the rain uh, for defeats, stuff like that. The Urich the may be out uh, soon for, for Genoa. Uh, <laughs> Napoli, who are on maximum points with Juventus and Inter, are hosting Benevento. You were suggesting in this very room that Napoli might be this year's Monaco. To what extent did the defeat away to Shakhtar um, change your mind? Look, I mean, it doesn't alter my... A perception of them as being a very, very good team who play outstanding football and can beat anyone on their day. Mm. Um, but defeats like the one they suffered against Shakhtar in the Champions League are exactly kind of why some people don't think they can actually win the league in Italy because um, yeah, they they seem to have these lapses um, which which Juventus don't have. Two other games quickly to mention before we wrap up today, uh, Michael. One of them is Crotone Inter. Crotone, of course, the one stadium where a hospital passes is warmly received because they have the uh, they have the local medical centre which overlooks the game and people are regularly uh, inventing illnesses and checking into the hospital so that they can overlook key matches like this one. Crotone, good record at home against the big sides. We'll see how Inter get on there. But perhaps the most romantic fixture of all is Fiorentina-Bologna, not least, well, not just because it's the, the derby of the Apennines, but also, James, because... Because you'll see Diego Simeone's son, Cholito, um, going up against Eusebio Di Francesco's son, Federico. Mm. Okay, so the two fathers were head-to-head in the Champions League midweek, and this weekend it's their sons. Wow. You know, last weekend in France, Marcus Turam, who is Lilian Turam's oldest son, because Kefren is the younger one, started for Guingamp and scored. Did he? On the same day, Enzo Zidane started for Alaves in La Liga. And the other thing, we were watching the UEFA Youth League weren't we? When yeah, PSG were dead. playing Celtic and uh, Timothy Weyer was playing for, for PSG. Wow. George Weyer's son, yeah. 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 Uh, what position does he play? He plays a striker or winger. He played on the left wing in that game. What about... And Lucas Zidane. Yeah. The one, you know, Zidane has four sons. Yes. The second one, the goalkeeper, was on the bench okay. uh, last night against... Enzo Aquarius. is... is an, was he an attacking midfielder? Yes, he's a number, so a number 10. And what about Lillian Turan's son? What was his name? Uh, so Marcus is a striker mm. and Kefren is a sort of defensive midfielder but he's, Kefren is 16 I think but plays for our front on the 16 and they're, they're, they're strong and tall like their dad right. but they're very good players as well and, and, and born to run in a very real sense <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly I could see in your eyes something was coming because your eyes were just like um. yeah indeed uh, okay then alright and PSG taking on Leon Sunday night that's a big game yeah in league. Uh, that, though, is where we come to the end of today's Totally Football show. Many thanks for, for being with us to the bitter end. And uh, here in the studio, it's been uh, Michael Cox, zonalmarking.net, <laughs> James Horncastle, Julian Laron, producer Ben's been in charge. Thanks, listeners, for being with us. We're back, as ever, on Monday. The Football League show debuts on Tuesday. I do hope you have a great weekend in the meantime. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and tweet us at The Totally Show.